would like to acknowledge an in memoriam for the great David Prowse, who died yesterday, born July 1, 1935. if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Sense, nine cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It is great to have you. It's November 29th, and as of today, we have 62,729,958 worldwide cases of COVID-19 with 1,460,993 deaths. And I got a great show for you. That's right. At the top of the show, in The Devil's Advocate, we're going to be talking about Satanism and environmentalism. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe not. Hmm. But we're going to talk about it nonetheless. In uh, the Infernal Informant, Iran newspaper, strike Haifa if Israel killed scientists. And the second article is that mysterious monolith in the Utah desert. It's gone, officials say. And we're going to close it out with the creature feature from the day the earth stood still. Love me this film. We'll talk about it at the end of the show. First and foremost, thank you guys so much for joining me. It's, uh, wow, what a day. Gary, good to see you. William, thanks for joining, man. Joaquin, how you doing? Nice to see you being able to join. Uh, Mark, how's it, go how's it going, man? Um, okay. Today, we're celebrating my son's birthday, which was actually a couple days ago. But because he works and stuff, today's going to be the day, which is why I have to do this early. So I hope you guys are okay with that. I realize that not all of you have the time to uh, get in here early, so I appreciate it if you can and when you do. Douglas. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> My name is in that. Yeah, absolutely. It's not the only one. There's uh, some other stuff that I'm going to be in that's coming out here soon. It's kind of exciting. So look forward to that. Uh, it's going to be great. Um, I don't really have... I just... I, I had more of a question. Because as a parent, I always wonder, at what point do you make the transition from gifts to just giving out cash <laughs> is there ever that transition i guess would be the question i want it to get to that because <laughs> i'm tired after years and years and years of of hunting down presents i just want to give cash i don't and i know that cheapens it because you're supposed to find something special and precious and here you know this is what you asked for eight years ago you know on a tuesday evening when no one was listening and you weren't even thinking about it and now here it is for you you know in my head and i get you know meaningful gifts like that are nice and special but you don't always have them as an option sometimes you're just like can i just give you a card <laughs> i've told people don't give me gifts because i don't like the expectation the weight that is involved with it because then you got to give them something and then you're like well, what the hell am i gonna get them i can't just give them cash can i so when when can you just transition from gifts to cash and is it ever an option if at that point are you just giving up 
should you just not give anything at that point? If it's meaningless and it's just cold, hard cash, then should we just stop the shenanigans altogether? You know? So, um, I'll get to that, Douglas, here, uh, probably in a future episode closer to the holiday. But I've done past episodes that, that address it uh, in Nine Cents, so you should check it out. Is the volume low? Well, I have it at 80%, and so I know that I'm going to scream this. <laughs> probably not going to scream this episode at all. Um, I have my volume tampered, tamped down a bit because I know I do sometimes project really loudly and I don't want to blow speakers out or e people's eardrums. And so if you need to dial up the volume a little bit, by all means, dial up the volume. I don't think I'm going to be screaming at all this episode. This is just going to be fun for me, I think. I can't make promises. <laughs> In the moment, sometimes you have to project, you know what I mean? And uh, I am prone to do so. Um, all right, let's 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 move over to the uh, devil's advocate and, and talk a little uh, Satanism and environmentalism, shall we? Not me. I'm never loud. I don't even know what you're talking about. Let me try to get this. Whoa. Don't fall. <laughs> My mic stand is bending. Or it's making noises anyway. Alright, let me throw out this image and we will get into it. Earth. There's a lot wrapped up emotionally and socio-politically inside environmentalism. Just the word, right? Let alone every other group that wants to latch onto it and imprint upon it. But whenever I reflect on environmentalism, I think literally of Satanism. Like it, it seems like a, a, a whole logical connective tissue idea to me. Um, it's exactly fitting into my worldview as a Satanist. And so I want to, I want to talk about it a little bit. And I know I talk about it a lot of these topics that sort of overlap a little bit. I mean, there's reason for that because virtually everything over overlaps um, that that I'm speaking to in this segment specifically. And so I'm just trying to find a different angle on these topics from sometimes, um, from time to time, because I find it interesting and I like the connective tissue. And so if you get tired of it, don't tune in. That's, <laughs> that's really all I got for that. All right. That being said, um, from Wikipedia, this is how they address the idea of environmentalism. It is a broad philosophy, ideology, and social movement regarding concerns for environmental protection and improvement of the health of the environment, particularly as the measure of this health seeks to incorporate the impact of changes to the environment on humans, animals, plants, and non-living matter. And during the course of this conversation, I want you to divorce yourselves from environmental philosophy in this discussion. For those of you who do appreciate the SJW or left um, progressive movement on, on connecting sociopolitical issues with environmentalism, 
I don't care. Do your thing. That's not what I'm talking about. And I'm going to make an argument to separate those permanently because I don't think one has anything to do with the other. Okay. That's, it's convoluting too much. And also when you separate the sociopolitical ideas behind environmentalism, as far as human equality goes, then you can start to see what environmentalism actually is beyond the sociopolitical side of it. And it's a very logical, straightforward thing that should be concerned um, with when it comes to any human and what we as Satanists do. So I'm going to get into that in a second. But I do want to say that if that's a part of something that's important to you, do it. Go amongst, go, you know, go forward and protest and do whatever you want. I, I have no problem with that. I think it's great when people find meaning in action, whatever that is in your life. Um, I'm not going to shit on it. I just want to make sure everyone understands that me, as an individual Satanist, I am not proposing any social political movement connecting with Satanism at all, because that is not the case. Individual Satanists may engage in social political activities to their heart's content, but the religion is wholly separate. All right? That needs to be stated, and now that it is, we can move on. Um, we're only going to refer to environmentalism in the context of the individual's impact as a Satanist. That's the concept I'm, I'm speaking to today, okay? I have long been a pro proponent the um, the exertion of the Satanist's will does not have to end at one's interpersonal relationships in the form of lesser magic or their home in the confines of... Um, a total environment. I've always challenged the idea of total environment, talking about it in the terms of your own microbiome, to your own physical surroundings, to your town, your state, your country, and the world, a global look. I think when you take a grander view of what total environments actually are, it becomes much more interesting. And I'm going to speak a little bit about Herr Doctor's uh, pentagonal revisionism, his five-point program, because when you're talking about Satanism, you can't really, you cannot connect any socio-political ideas with it. You just can't. But pentagonal revisionism is as close as it gets. So there's five points, but two of them that really kind of shine in, in focus when you're talking about environmentalism specifically, right? So first and foremost, there's stratification. And it's this idea that there cannot be this myth of equality for all. And there are detrimental reasons for that. But the truth is, as a Satanist, we don't believe in equality. We want the cream to rise to the top. And we want people to suffer from their own stupidity. Well, that's what's happening environmentally. Our species is suffering from our refusal to do anything about it, um, to address climate change specifically, or just focus on environmental issues generally. We're suffering from that. So when you think in the concept of, of social political movements through pentagonal revisionism, stratification is happening. Um, I know when people read stratification, they immediately start jumping on this idea of separating yourselves from other people the context of stratification in pentagonal revisionism has nothing to do with you choosing 
people that you surround yourself with. It has everything to do with equality and suffering um, reactions to your own stupidity. The stupidity itself should be painful. Um, and then the other one is the total environment um, point, right? And it's the idea that anyone can live within a total environment of his or her choice in privately owned, operated, and controlled environments. Now, what does privately owned environment mean? Well, literally your home, but I like to extrapolate out from that as I have with, you know, like your own inner microbiome or your town or your city or your state, etc. Um, so privately owned, like I have a stake in this country because I pay taxes. I pay the country to provide me with services. And so I have a personal stake in what happens. So when this country allows corporations to damage the environment or this country does not protect the the land that I exist on and I need to live by breathing air or eating the food raised on that land, well, that's a personal issue. That's a private issue. And the only way that I can influence that is through the sociopolitical machine but that means I have to be environmentally conscious to even have those ideas on my radar. And so I think Satanism goes inherently hand in hand with environmentalism through the pentagonal revisionism program. Um, and, and, you know, just to, to, to make sure that that's clear, I wanted to sort of walk through those two steps. It speaks to the Satanists' need to reach beyond themselves in order to make these changes a reality. It will not happen on its own, and environmentalism is the key to making these things happen. So pentagonal revisionism is not just going to happen, right? Churches are not just going to start paying taxes because they think it's a good thing to do. Legislation has to be made. Social change has to be made in order for these points to take effect. And so you can't look at pentagonal revisionism and think that, well, there is no social political component. That's what it is. That's saying, as a Satanist, these five ideas are important to see to realizing a more satanic future. How are we going to get there? Through a Satanist's engagement. Now, it's not a call to all Satanists to do anything. It's not a call to one Satanist to do anything. But individual Satanists on their own who want to, who find some form of satisfaction in doing that, well then, by all means, be empowered by your own decisions, by your own life choices. I certainly am. Because I want a more sustainable future, I support socio-politically Satanic ideas. That is my lesser magic being exerted on a global scale. Now talk about exerting one's will, right? Um, okay, so the downside is that we can... Um, the downside, I think, as a Satanist, to say that you're an environmentalist or that you care about the environment is that you there's baggage, like I said at the beginning, that comes along with the idea of environmentalism, right? People immediately attach you to some sort of weird SJW, I don't know, whiny tree-hugging thing. Um, instead of actually, or, or, you know, trying to make everyone equal and, and humanity, you know, having this sort of justice system that, that means that everyone is equal across the board. And that's just not reality, and I don't support those ideas 
at least not in that frame anyway. And so I really, uh, I really want to focus on this idea of environmentalism because it's to our own self-interest to do so, right? Um, having sustainable access to water globally, to clean, sustainable water sources, that actually prevents war, it prevents migrations, it prevents economic issues, and having clean water to drink means that our base layer of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is met. Our physiological needs, food, water, safety. If, if you don't have those components, there's no way you'll ever become a fully realized individual. There's no way that you can realize your maximum potential as a Satanist. And so environmentalism is core to that base layer of self-actualization. Without having safe drinking and uh, being able to consume food that does not poison you, you will never be able to be the full-blown Satanist that you are capable of being at the top of that self-actualization Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Period. And that's why I think it's so important. It's the foundation of everything in life. You think, think about um, global economic crises. It's from lack of food, lack of water. And then you have migration, you have criminals coming in, you have governments tamping down their peoples because they're trying to control access to resources. As soon as resources are available, well, then you don't have those issues anymore. Those issues go away. You have other issues that arise, but I'm not concerned about those right now. I just want to get clean water and clean food, <laughs> right? And that's why environmentalism is so important. When we realize the Satanists, that we are carnal creatures, then you suddenly realize that you are on the same level as every other carnal creature on this planet, except that we are the only creatures destroying every other creature on the planet by invading and destroying the environments that they exist naturally in. We are going counter to our own carnal natures now, I'm not going to say our own carnal instincts because I do find a difference there, and maybe I'll get into that another time. But when we start destroying our own environments, for whatever reason, commerce, economics, capitalism, control, for whatever reason, well, we're suffering from our own stupidity because we're poisoning ourselves. We have spikes in asthma and allergy rates across the globe because of our air, our food, and our water. We're poisoning ourselves. <laughs> Bears aren't doing it. Mice aren't doing it. We're doing it. This animal. And it's because of our own ignorance, our own stupidity, because in most cases nowadays, people are aware of environmental movements and how we're poisoning, and they're not doing anything about it. And so that's the problem, is that we are suffering. Stupidity is painful, and we are suffering from our own stupidity. Um, uh, the fundamental core of the individual Satanist understanding is that we are carnal animals like every other animal on the planet. Self-care is an indirect relation to environmental care, right? So 
as Satanist, I am my own God, right? I make decisions that are going to benefit me in the situation above all else. Why would I want to choose to poison myself? Why would I choose to harm myself when instead I can choose to thrive, extend my life through exercise, through eating a healthy diet, um, through finding sense of purpose and joy in life, right? I want to be able to walk without shoes in grass and feel the grass between my toes, to be able to take a deep breath of air and not hack out a bunch of exhaust from vehicles. So it's my own self-interest as the prime cause of me wanting to change my behavior in order to benefit the global environment. The world is going to exist without us. It doesn't care whether humans exist on it at all. And so the environmental uh, environmentalism movement, I think, shifts it into this idea of altruism for you know all of you know animal life and plant life and stuff like that. It gets really sort of hokey, but I think that's a shortcut to thinking. I think that's the wrong way of looking at it because when you start looking at environmentalism through the lens of the individual and how it benefits you. It becomes a no-brainer in order to take care of your own environment, in order to recycle, in order to compost, in order to grow your own food, in order to shop locally. Because all of these small decisions have massive impacts across the globe. Um, and it's all because you want to take care of yourself, because you're a selfish person. That's why you're doing it. It's not because you want... You want every species to exist happy in its own natural environment. I don't give a fuck about that. That is a reaction to me being selfish and wanting to have a healthy environment. And that's fine. But that's not the reason I'm doing it. The reason that I care about this stuff is so that I can exist. So that my family can exist. And so that my family's future can be a positive and healthy one. Through that lens, it is utterly satanic to be an environmentalist, to care about climate change, right? Um, in general terms, environmentalists advocate the sustainable management of resources and the protection and restoration when necessary of the natural environment through changes in public policy and individual behavior. And this is where your own decisions in life not only have indirect reactions to benefiting the environment around you but it's your direct action that can also do it so again if you participate in politics then you vote and you vote for people who are going to make legal changes put restrictions on companies that are poisoning our environment and prevent corporations from destroying natural environments for their own benefit it's very simple. So you can either take indirect action selfishly, you can take direct action selfishly, but if you're a Satanist that cares about your own future, you have to be a Satanist that cares about the environment because you're tied to it. It's the only place that we can exist. And so I don't want anyone to think of environmentalism as this sort of foreign concept 
this sort of um, hippie ideology. Because it's not. It's tied directly to us, to our very existence, life itself, of which we have sprung. At its core is the environment. It is a part of you and I. So why would you not want to take care of yourself? That's stupidity. That's the reaction of you being a fucking idiot. So, uh, in simple form, environmental care is crucial to the survival of our species. Absolutely. 100%. And that's why it's satanic. Because it ensures your future. Selfishly. Not altruistically for everything else, but for yourself. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to talk about that for a little bit. And I know I've talked about it in different ways throughout the months since I brought back Nine Cents uh, since this February. But I think it's important. And so I want to keep it on the forefront of anyone who watches these shows now or in the future. All right. Thank you guys for indulging me that. Let's move into a little Infernal Informant. That's um, Joachim is saying as an environmentalist, he wants more nuclear plants in his area. That's one thing I, I, people need to really understand is that different forms of energy is not a bad thing. It's a good thing as long as it is created um, in a sustainable and positive way with minimal impact to the environment. Uh, you know, when you do have nuclear meltdowns, it's because of humans' lack of uh, recognizing problems before the, or, or engaging in solutions to problems as they arise, um, in most cases. So I'm, I'm all for nuclear energy as well. And we're going to talk about that here in a second, uh, as I get into this. Iran newspaper, strike Haifa of if Israel killed scientists. This is from Politico.com. An opinion piece published as a hardline Iranian newspaper on Sunday suggests Iran should attack the Israeli port of Haifa if Israel carried out the killing of the scientist who founded the Islamic Republic's military nuclear program in the early 2000s. Though the hardline Kaihan newspaper has long argued for aggressive retaliation of operations targeting Iran, Saturday's opinion piece went further, suggesting any assault be carried out in a way that destroys facilities and also causes heavy human casualties. Israel, suspected of killing Iran nuclear scientists over the past decade, has not commented on the brazen slayings of Mohsen Ferex Zaden, a military-style ambush Friday of the outskirts of Tehran, reported uh, reportedly saw a truck bomb explode and gunmen open fire in the on the scientist, killing him and a bodyguard. U.S. intelligence agencies and U.N. nuclear inspectors have said that the organized military nuclear program that Farazeda, I'm saying this badly, I'm sorry for tearing these names up, oversaw was disbanded in 2003, but Israeli suspicion of Tehran's atomic program and his involvement has never ceased. 
Iranian officials have blamed Israel for Friday's attack, raising the specter of renewed tensions that could engulf the reason. A region, including U.S. troops stationed in the Persian Gulf and beyond during President Donald Trump's remaining weeks in office. Kaihan published the piece written by Iranian analyst Sadala Zarai, who argued that Iran's previous responses to suspected Israeli airstrikes that killed Revolutionary Guard forces in Syria did not go far enough to deter Israel. He said an assault on Haifa also needed to be greater than Iran's ballistic missile attack against American troops in Iraq following the U.S. drone strike in Baghdad that killed a top Iranian general in January. Striking the Israeli city of Haifa and killing a large number of people will definitely lead to deterrence because the United States and the Israeli regime and its agents are by no means ready to take part in a war and military confrontation, uh, Zarai wrote. Not true, by the way. While Kayan is a small circulation newspaper in Iran, its editor-in-chief, Hussein Sharat Madari, was appointed by Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei and has been described as an advisor to him in the past. Haifa on the Mediterranean Sea has been threatened in the past by both Iran and one of its proxies, the Lebanese militant group Hezbollah. Such a strike likely would draw an immediate Israeli retaliation and spark a wider conflict across the Mideast. While Iran has never directly targeted an Israeli city militarily, it has conducted attacks targeting Israeli terrorists abroad in the past over the killing of its scientists, like in the case of the three Iranians recently freed in Thailand in exchange for a detained British-Australian academic. Israel also is widely believed to have its own nuclear weapons, a stockpile it neither confirms nor denies possessing. The Iranian parliament on Sunday held a closed-door uh, closed hearing about Farik Zadeh's killing. Afterward, Parliament Speaker Mohammed Bakr Ghalibaf and Iran's enemies must be made to regret killing him. Quote, the criminal enemy does not regret it except with a strong reaction, end quote, he said in a broadcast on Iranian state radio. A public, succession, a public session of lawmakers saw them chant death to America, death to Israel. They also began the review of a bill that would stop inspections by the International Atomic Energy Agency. The nuclear watchdog group uh, has provided an unprecedented real-time look at Iran's civil nuclear program following the country's 2015 nuclear deal with world powers. The deal has unraveled after Trump's unilateral 2018 withdrawal from the U.S. from the accord. It, uh, Iran's civilian atomic program has since continued its experiments and now enriches a growing uranium stockpile up to 4.5% purity. That's still far below weapons-grade levels of 90%, though experts warn Iran now has enough low-enriched uranium to reprocess into fuel for at least two atomic bombs if they choose to pursue them. Here's the deal. If Iran overtly murdered Israel's scientists, Israel would retaliate. Now that Israel has murdered one of Iran's scientists overtly, do we not expect a retaliation? This is what I've, like, Iran is an interesting beast. They were actually a really positive country on the world stage up until the CIA the U.S. intervened and actually put the Ayatollah in power. We destabilized their country and allowed religious fanatics to take hold of it. We do that a lot. And uh, it's because of our engagement that they're now this sort of 
insane, religiously controlled country. But they've never overtly attacked anyone. They go through back channels like funding Hezbollah, for example. Until we murdered their general, which I don't see as a bad thing, but the fact is, is we did it. And so they struck a U.S. base in retaliation. We downplayed that they didn't successfully kill people, though they actually did. But it did keep us out of war by downplaying their, the damage that they did. And so here's the, here's the conversation that we need to be having. It is... Might is right, right? Lex talionis. It is justifiable to retaliate when someone murders something that you uh, care about, right? So as a nation, if you care about your nuclear program and someone murders your top scientists overseeing it, well then yeah, you're going to retaliate. We would do it as America. As Israel has done it. So why wouldn't Iran? But what's the reaction to that? Because globally, we see good, by, good guys and bad guys. And that's just not a reality. It's all about self-interest, right? There is no good guy and bad guy. Israel is a Zionist fucking bully on the world stage. They're terrible. I, I think Israel is a massive... They're worse than America in how they treat Palestinians, um, in, in how they treat other cultures. And whether you agree with why they do that or not is, I think, a secondary conversation. The fact is, is they're terrible. They murder and they subjugate and they are just terrible. They have now attacked another country overtly and they're going to look to us to back them. And because we're Americans, because we love our Christianity, because Jesus walked on their lands, we're going to support Israel. Stupidly. And this is going to cause a huge fucking war. We have just started pulling out of uh, Iran. We are arguing about still trying to pull out of Afghanistan. And now we're going to have an overt conflict with Iran. If Iran does something. So, politically. <sighs> Iran does not have the strength within the country or in its allies to stand up against Israel and America. So it would be a stupid move on their part to start a war like this person is writing in um, their, their opinion piece. It would be very stupid because Israel and America are always ready to fight. We have a military industrial complex funding and supplying our economy. That is what we do. So let's ignore the fact that it's a stupid comment to be made that we're not ready or willing. All America has ever wanted to do was go to war with Iran. It is the rare leaders like Barack Obama who said, no, let's not go to war. Let's actually create a, a, a nuclear agreement that they're not going to pursue enrichment of uranium. And uh, we're going to allow people to go in to make sure that that's not going to be the case. And so we're going to lift sanctions that we've had on them for years. And we're going to give them back money that we took from them, that we stopped them from being able to, to capture, which was their fucking money. And so we made this political agreement. Trump shit all over that. 
So now there's nothing stopping them from enriching uranium, uranium from creating nuclear weapons, and from attacking anyone else. Now it's just politics. They have to make those decisions themselves. So are they stupid enough to attack Israel? And then is Israel and America stupid enough to attack them back and engage in another massive war? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone is stupid enough. Should they? Fuck no. Not because of some greater reason of, you know, loving of life and humanity, but because it's pragmatic not to. I think even though they're religious zealots by and large, Iran is going to look at this situation and say, U.S. has Israel's back. If we retaliate directly against Israel, U.S. will come after us. U.S. is at a transition point in their election. It's, we're just waiting on the lame duck to get out of office, and then the new president will come in. They're probably going to start strike up a new Iran nuclear deal as soon as Biden gets in, which means that we're not going to have sanctions on us anymore, which means that we're going to be more open to um, our own goals as a nation. If they wait out for the Biden presidency, they will not strike and there will not be conflict. If they do strike before the Biden presidency is in, we're going to have war. We're going to have straight up war. And every hawk in politics, in American politics, has been chomping at the bit for this for decades. This is going to be their shot. So they'll take it. The American economy and the American people, I do not think, want and can handle another war. We will be fucked if that happens. Not because of danger, but because of the result of another war. The economic toll, the human toll, that it takes on our families. Um, that's going to be too great. So uh, situations like this, you hope cooler heads are going to prevail and Israel is going to keep their fucking mouths shut even though they're fucking idiots and I don't know that they will. And Iran is going to have a, need to have a little bit of perspective and realize that they're just keep fun in Hezbollah and you can attack Israel uh, covertly if you want to keep doing that. That's fine. Do not overtly assault them because that's going to set the world on fire. And we cannot, as a world, handle that right now. We're already racked with a global pandemic. We can't take a global conflict, too. So simmer down. <laughs> simmer the fuck down. Oh, man. As European, the only conflict that terrifies you is Iran versus any other country. The U.S. pulling out of the nuclear agreement made no sense to any of us. Yeah, it didn't make sense to us either, man. That's fucking Trump Republicans. They don't think. They think short-term and personal profit. That's it. No long-term anything. No actual politics. It's all just me, 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 me. To their own detriment. Stupidity is painful. And America is suffering from stupidity. Um, Haifa is also the home of the massive Bahis faith temple complex. Iran, uh, Iran's government hates the Bahi faith and persecutes Bahis in their country badly. They would love to take it out. Yeah, yeah and the truth is, 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 again, we like to say people are bad and good and our actions are justified and other people's actions aren't. It's all self-interest. Um, religion is insane. People who believe 
in religion as in external deities and good versus evil are fucking insane. Like straight up insane. There's no argument to it. They believe in invisible things. They're not, they don't exist. Like they're insane. So there's no reasoning with that, right? So you always have to take social political stances if you're going to engage with people like that. And so you have to, you know, weigh consequences and actions before you take actions and have to deal with consequences. So you look and say, look, they may not like that religion and they shit on their own people. Okay, well, we put them in the position to be able to shit on them. So we have to live with those reactions. And we shit on people and persecute people in our own country as Americans. So to look at other countries and say, well, hey, they're doing the same thing, but it's bad when they do it, but not bad when we do it. Well, that's a severe lack of perspective. Very unsatanic. Let's be honest about it. We're going to persecute people. It's not going to be fair, but fair is not a word that exists in nature. Fair is something that we made up so that we can somehow benefit in situations or we don't get shit on as much. People hate people for no reason. That's just something that happens. It sucks. It's stupid in my opinion. It doesn't make sense in my opinion. It's not pragmatic, but it's real. It happens. And so all we have to do is deal with it socio-politically, thinking of consequences and actions. That's what we got to do. And, and we need leaders in place that think in those terms, not good and bad, good and evil, like George Bush or fucking the people behind Donald Trump. Donald Trump has actually kept us out of conflict with Iran. If he hasn't done anything good, he's done that well. He's kept us out of more military engagement and is trying to get us out of Afghanistan. Whether you think that's a good idea or not, um, it's, it's, it's a net benefit for this country if we stay out of world uh, affairs, in my opinion. So, you appreciate you being able to separate the nation of Israel from the Jewish people. So many can't deal with it. I think that, and that's the other thing, is that when, when I, people hear me shit on Zionism and the nation state of Israel, they think that I'm anti-Semitic or I don't like Jewish individuals or the faith or whatever. First of all, I'm anti all religions that believe in invisible people. Period. I think it's all nonsense. The individuals who believe in those religions, I'm totally indifferent to. I don't care. If you want to believe in that, fine. I think you're fucking foolish, but that's fine. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to shit on you. I'm not going to try to blow you up. Like, believe whatever the fuck you want to believe. Just keep it out of my fucking life. So I don't mind Jews or Christians or Muslims or Buddhists or Shiites or anyone else. I don't mind them at all. They, as long as they stay out of my fucking life, fine. But if your nation made up of your people is backing actions that are actually actions that you suffered to great extents, that's stupidity. And that needs to be stopped. So yeah, the, the nation state of Israel needs a real <laughs> ironic come to Jesus moment because uh, they're fucking idiots. They're, they're, they're hurting themselves with their own, um, um, well, dictators. I mean, he, he's been voted uh, in so many times. At this point, he's, he's just a fucking dictator. 
All right, that being said, let's move on to something a little less serious, a little more fun, shall we? I like this a lot. I saw an article the other day that out of nowhere, people discovered this mysterious monolith in the middle of the Utah desert. No one knows how it got there. No one knows who put it there. It just appeared. It was very much like 2001 Space Odyssey, except this is a triangle. 12 feet tall or something like that. Well, it's gone. So the article is, that mysterious monolith in the Utah desert? It's gone, officials say. This is from the New York Times. As mysteriously as it arrived, a metal monolith that was discovered last week by Utah public safety workers is now gone, officials said on Saturday. The three-sided metal structure was removed on Friday evening by an unknown party from the public land it was found on. The Federal Bureau of Land Management, Utah's office, said in a statement. The Bureau said it had not removed the monolith, which it considers private property. The Utah Department of Public Safety said on Monday that it had found its object while surveying for bighorn sheep. It's gone, the Department of Public Safety said, reacting to the news in an Instagram post. Almost as quickly as it appeared, it has now disappeared, the department said, adding, I can only speculate that aliens took it back using the emoji for extraterrestrials. Maybe it will stop and visit us in Canada, one person commented. It was a mystery how the monolith had been installed in the first place. Uh, Lieutenant Nick Street, a spokesman for the Department of Public Safety, said this week that the monolith had been embedded into the rock. Quote, somebody took the time to use some type of concrete cutting tool or something to really dig down almost in the exact shape of the object and embed it really well, he said. It's odd. There are roads close by, but to haul the material to cut into the rock and haul the metal, which is taller than 12 feet in sections, to do all that remote spot is definitely interesting. Officials said that the structure was most likely a work of art and that it was an installation on public land that was illegal. It was unclear who had put it there and when, but the art world quickly speculated that it was the work of John McCracken, a sculptor fond of science fiction. He died in 2011. His son, Patrick McCracken, told the New York Times this week that his father had told him in 2002 that he would like to leave his work in remote places to be discovered later. While officials declined to disclose the monolith's location, some people had tracked it down. David Serber, who visited the structure last week and posted videos of it on Instagram, said it was located near Lockhart Basin Road, which is south of Moab. The Bureau of Land Management said it would not be investigated, uh, investigating the disappearance because crimes involving private property are managed by the local sheriff's office. The San Juan and Grand County Sheriff's offices did not immediately respond to requests for comment. Mr. Serber, who trekked to the monolith, posted about its disappearance on his Instagram story on Saturday night. Apparently, the monolith is gone, he said. Nature returned back to her natural state, I suppose. I love this. This is, this is human ingenuity, um, art expression, and the wonder of mystery, of adventure, of excitement, of what-ifs. I love that some artist just randomly put his work as an installation in the middle of nowhere for people just to stumble across. Now, cities do this intentionally, right? They put public art in the public square so you can appreciate it. But like this, this is 
right out of 2001 Space Odyssey. This is beautiful. This is fantastic. It is so exciting when someone does something like this, takes time, uses their own resources, doesn't tell a soul about it. And then suddenly one day, someone just stumbles across it. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. I love it so much. Um, yeah, it was definitely, hey dog, it was definitely an art installation. It's, it's definitely not aliens. I hope no one thinks that. That's silly. But it is still fun. Uh, and let's be honest, if there's anything we needed, it's a little bit of fun this year because <laughs> it's been so heavy and so oppressive and just horrible. This whole year has just been a, a total nightmare. So something like this, that's just fun for fun's sake, for the beauty of art and expression. Hell yes. I think it's fantastic. I think they should have kept it there, let, let, left it unmolested entirely and just allowed it to exist. You know, just stay in one spot where people can stumble across it if they want to. Because not only does it, it forces people to get out into nature in order to, to find it and look at it. But in order to get out there, you have to be prepared. You have to, you know, shop from local stores to, you know, have the food and water for your trek to get there. It's going to inspire you to stay in that area more. Maybe there's other installations that have yet to be found. There probably are. And so people can go on these little scavenger hunts for it and stuff. It, it provides a little bit of um, sort of Indiana Jones exploration, you know? And that's just fantastic any way you look at it. I think it was fantastic. I, I absolutely love it. I, I'm so excited that people do this type of stuff. It didn't really harm the natural environment at all. He just dug a triangle into the ground in order to anchor his, his piece of art. And that's just rock. It's not a burial ground. So who gives a fuck? It's bringing attention to public lands, which people should be going and paying attention to anyway. You know, in, in enjoying themselves in their public lands. It's your land. You're paying for that. You know, with your taxes, it's protection. Uh, and so it's just a net positive. I love this story. I think it's so great. So you sort of disagree uh, because tourists and assholes uh, that want to section the park fucked it up for the animals. Well, to be fair, in the desert, there's not a lot of uh, animals that are going to be affected by this one art installation. Especially when it's um, in the middle of a river basin that travels through. Um, there are other places that would be much more effective uh, or affected uh, by an installation of this type. But even that... Um, Tourists in Utah. Utah is one of those states. Um, I don't know if people don't really know this unless you've lived here or you have some sort of connection to it. The people in Utah, um, by and large, the majority of them are outdoors people. They they hunt and engage in nature to not just conserve it because they want to be able to continue hunting, um, whether it's fish or or, or uh, wildlife, you know, deer or, or whatever. But they also are very much, by and large, environmentalists. Like, we take care of the lands here. It's important to us. And so whether you're a rancher who wants to have your cattle feed off of particular lands, you want that land to continue to be there, so you have to take care of it. And so they, they work hand-in-hand hand with the local governments in order to maintain and conserve these areas. And so tourists here, you know, you go to places like arches or zion national parks um they get thrashed by non-utah tourists 
stuff like this, which is really hyper localized and you know, you're not going to be traveling from Japan to come see this in masses. There's not going to be buses that are traveling, you know, driving you around to see it. So it's not really going to, it's not really going to affect the natural environment at all compared to those other large volume parks like Zion's and Arches. Um, and that's just the reality of it. So small stuff like this, where you have to work to get into it, there's not an infrastructure that's going to take you to it. I totally support. I think it's fantastic. Um, I'm sorry, I have to look around my damn microphone because the setup is really kind of strange today. I don't know why I'm, I do this to myself. Um, it's a great way to be immortalized. Yeah, Rhino, that's actually a really good point too. I mean, this is all about... Uh, <laughs> you know all about Utah. I watch Salt Lake City Funk. Yeah, well, that's Salt Lake City. That's downtown. That's my that's my stomping grounds. Um, talk about a way, yeah, to, to live forever. Because even though this installation was taken out, whether it was taken out by his family or someone stole it, this is a story that will forever exist now, you know? I mean, nothing is fully gone from the internet anymore. It's not going to be a popular story in another week, but we're talking about it now. And he died in 2013, I think it said, uh, 2011. So I, I think it's great. Now it's going to encourage people to look up him as an artist, see what other artwork he did. Uh, he created and it's just fun it's just fun all right um let's do a little uh, creature feature This movie. Alright. Throwing up the poster. The day the earth stood still. Alright. AKA Farewell to the Master and Journey to the World. This is a 1951 American black and white science fiction film from 20th Century Fox. It's directed by Robert Weiss. It was written by Edmund H. North based on the 1940s science fiction short story Farewell to the Master by Harry Bates. And science fiction writer Raymond F. Jones worked as an uncredited advisor on this film. It was scored and composed uh, by Bernard Herrmann. And he did a lot of experimenting with instruments uh, and styles. And what you're going to find is that in most like B black and white science fiction films of the era... Uh, it was very cheesy and cheap, and there wasn't a lot of um, thought and care that went into those films. There was just like, let's pump them out so people can be shocked and enjoy them. Uh, you know, it's part of like a drive-in culture. This. This. <laughs> Everything's backwards on my end. Um, it It's brilliantly scored, and the music is... It's only second to the visual aesthetics. But it is a very close second. It is scored so brilliantly that the music actually takes you out of the 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 film in in some places because it's so good that you have to stop watching in order to fully appreciate and recognize how good the score is, and then you can jump right back into the film. 
that's how good this score is. So I had to mention him because he did such a good job. The log line of this film is, an alien lands and tells the people of Earth that they must live peacefully or be destroyed as a danger to other planets. So this is, you know, an, an anti-war type film. And it has this through line of uh, Jesus metaphor that is very heavy handed. They meant it to be subliminal sort of subtext, but it is so overt it's painful that Klaatu, this alien that came down, is telling everyone they must be peaceful, you know, this this sort of um, divine being that, you know, lives longer than regular humans and can uh, see the future of humanity through their actions, even befriends children and stuff like that. So there's some pretty heavy, and he comes back to life. I mean, it's a pretty heavy-handed Jesus uh, references in this. I forgive it that because it's great. Um, it stars Michael Re Rennie. Uh, Michael Rennie as Klaatu, Patricia Neal as Helen Benson, Hugh Marlowe as Tom Stevens, Sam Jaffe as Professor Jacob Bernhardt, and Billy Gray as Bobby Benson. In 95, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry as culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Um, the set was actually designed by Thomas Little and Claude Carpenter. They collaborated with the architect Frank Lloyd Wright for the design of the spacecraft. The use of light and shadow is stunningly brilliant in this film. It is the best of a noir feel with a science fiction back. It is so good. You have to see this. And when you get into the actual spacecraft, it's beautiful. So modern and just stunning. Um, and of course, the phrase Klaatu Brata Nikto has appeared repeatedly in fiction and popular culture. <laughs> I mean, from Star Wars has reference to it. Um, Army of Darkness has reference to it. Um, okay, well, there's a lot of other references that are escaping me at the moment. But it's just great. I, you know, it's... it's it, whole films have been made around that phrase to discover um, its impact on popular culture. Like, documentaries have been made about it, which is very funny and cool. Um, but it's it's basically just you know, uh, save earth or, you know, it, it's the phrase that the heroine needs to use in order to stop the robot Glork or something like that to, from killing and destroying all of earth. So it's, it's this really wonderful setup where this, the spacecraft comes down and lands, right? And it's like, you know, in 1950s, cold war is coming, you know, Russia doesn't trust anyone. China doesn't trust anyone. America doesn't trust anyone. Um, he lands and he's like, look, I need it. You guys have come on the world stage because you developed nuclear energy uh, and nuclear weapons. We need to stop this nonsense. <laughs> you cannot, you know, we were allowing you to, to grow up on your own as humans. We were allowing you to explore your own evolution and that's all fine and good. But as soon as you started blowing each other up and you became a threat to us out in space, well, now you need to stop. And if you don't stop, we're going to destroy you. <laughs> like, that is the message. It's not this soft little, you need to learn to live in harmony because harmony is good. No, it's stop or we're going to fucking kill you. <laughs> Which is just this beautiful message, I think. Because if you are, you know, other entities in space and you've learned to live in harmony as, you know, whatever alien culture you live in. Uh, and you see this other life form becoming a massive danger 
not important because they're becoming dangerous to themselves, but because then they can come out into space and become a danger to you. Well, you got to shut that shit down. <laughs> Self-preservation is the most important. Um, I don't necessarily like the background to the alien cultures because what they did is they created this race of super powerful robots, um, which is, you know, you see in the poster there. And these robots enforce civility and peacefulness and the lack of war, of conflict, you know? So everyone has to live in peace or else they're killed by the robots. It's that simple. And so I don't really like that, you know, you know, creating this big brother to moderate your behavior. I think that's stupid. And I kind of like a little bit of conflict in life because that's what life is. At least that's what human life is. Uh, and so I, I kind of like that. But the film is just so much fun, you know, and it's, it's, it's a callback to this wonderful science fiction era of we, we barely started thinking about going to the moon. Our science um, with the atomic bomb is sort of exploding the what ifs, uh, you know, from nuclear fallout. Um, everyone was terrified militaristically, politically. Uh, and so it, it forced us to imagine possibilities, right? Godzilla came out of this era of, you know, um, ancient beings meant to protect the planet from our own destruction. Well, this is another form of that, except it's coming from outside of our planet. Um, it's just, it's, it's the heart of what good science fiction is, especially from where it comes out of. And the message is okay. It's all right. But it's presented beautifully, visually, and audibly. Like, the, the sound design and... The, the musical score is just so wonderful. If you have never seen this film, you're missing out on something really big. Do yourself a favor and check it out. It's fantastic. And if any of you are not going to check it out because it's black and white, punch yourself in the face right now. I'll wait. Okay, now that you've punched yourself in the face, wipe your nose. Uh, you got a little blood dripping. And watch the fucking film. It's fantastic and you will love it. Alright. Anyone in here? Have you guys seen this and not liked this show? It's... You can't not like this show. If you like films, if you like science fiction, if you like action-adventure... Not so much action, but adventure. You have to like this film. Simply because it's good. <laughs> and that's it. And that's what I wanted to close this episode on. Just something good. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversation this week. And if you didn't, eh, don't tune in next week. Because <laughs> it'll be more of the same. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go uh, celebrate my son's birthday. You guys have a fantastic week. And um, yeah, if you like what I'm doing here, subscribe to the YouTube channel, sign up to the email list, and uh, like the video. And if you don't, eh, fuck off. Have a great day, everyone. Hail Satan.